to hear me speak, right? Sad. Um, okay, so I'm going to pray real quick just so we can uh, get in the mindset, and then we'll get started. All right, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much um, just for everything that you provide for us, for for our parents, for parents who volunteer and, and serve us and our, our leaders and um, just all of the people around us, God, that you give us and place in our lives um, just to help us grow in you and to serve us, Lord. And I thank you so much for them. And I pray today that we can uh, get in the mindset of missions, Lord, and that we will just see uh, your greatness and uh, what your word has to say about it. Amen. Okay, so, um, oh, one thing, Casey told me there was $70 donated to Compassion this week, which is unheard of. That's like triple what. So y'all give yourself a hand because that's incredible. Thanks, guys. $70. It's usually like $20, I think. Okay, so today I get to wrap this series that we've been doing on The Wasted Life. And we all have all heard of the American dream, right? We grow up hearing that we are supposed to follow the American dream. And in order to live a good life, you need to get a good job. You need to be successful, make a lot of money. Then you get to travel and you get retired, retire early. But as we've learned from this series, that is not the purpose of our life. And as believers, we have to wake up, wake up to the reality of God's grace and mercy and recognize that God is infinitely more worthy and more important than all of those things, right? Because God created us to glorify him, and we do that by finding our joy in him and displaying his excellence in all areas of our life, essentially by making him ultimate in our life. And we've talked about this concept in the different areas that it plays out, um, this purpose that we have. And we talked about taking risks for the gospel. We've talked about boasting in the cross more than ourselves. And we've talked about living the gospel out day to day, even if you're in a secular job. So today we're talking about missions. So you might be wondering why this series has been a lot about our personal uh, relationship with God, about finding that that all-consuming passion for him and to glorify him. So why does it seem like we're making a shift to missions? And that is because if you are a believer in Christ and you are really seeking after him, then you are involved in missions no matter what. So a lot of you don't know, I actually grew up in the church learning about God my whole life, but it wasn't until halfway through college that he actually captured my heart and woke me up. There was a girl from Campus Crusade that wanted to meet with me to encourage me to share the gospel with girls in my sorority. And I was like, oh yeah, I would love that. That's a great idea. I mean, that's why I decided to stay in it. And then I was like, what's the gospel though? And um, yeah, I was like, what did I learn in church for 20 years? I don't know. Um, And I was like, oh, I've heard about Jesus. Yeah. And so from that point on, and amongst other things, God really changed me and grew me, and um, since then has given me a passion for missions and living for him in all areas of my life. But I remember in middle school hearing one time about this couple that went to Africa, and one of them got sick, and they had to come back. And I remember thinking, oh, that stinks. That just sounds awful. I really hope God never calls me to missions. So obviously, I did not have the right understanding of God, and I did not have the right understanding of missions, because we are all called to be a part of missions and involved in some way if we are making God our passion and the most important thing to us. And it can be lived out in a couple different ways, Um, but if you want to answer the first two questions before I go on pretty quickly, you can do that now. I'll just give a couple minutes.
All right, let's get started. Sorry to cut y'all short. <laughs> okay, so why should we care about missions? Why should it matter to us? Well, when we finally understand that our, our purpose in life to glorify God and that he is, he is our ultimate worth, <clears throat> he is our ultimate worth, and when we get our joy and satisfaction from him, th- there's an obvious next step that happens. So out of the overflow of our love and passion for him, we want to share that with others so that they too can find their joy in him and glorify him. So missions is a natural response from someone who is seeking after Christ. And it's a form of worship. As humans, we were created to worship. Why do you think it's so easy for us to find these tangible things around us to idolize? It's because we were created to worship. And so worshiping God and telling, proclaiming his name to the nations are the same thing. If, like I said, our ultimate purpose is to glorify God, one way to do that is by worshiping him. And a form of worship is by sharing the gospel and letting others see the joy found in him. From the overflow of our hearts, out of the love and worship, and we don't hold back, but we tell others about him. In fact, there's many verses in the Bible when it's talking about other nations knowing God. It's in the middle of God being praised or the author praising God. Just one example in Revelation 5, 9, it says, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this is while God's being praised in heaven at the end. So there's a quote from Piper that says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So because of our desire to worship God and see him worshiped, we go on missions and we tell people about his goodness and mercy. So missions goes hand in hand with glorifying God. And there's two different motives that people can have with missions. There's compassion for people who are in need or who are perishing and a desire to see them have a chance to go to heaven because we should be discontent with how many lost people there are out there. And then there's for the glory of God because you desire to see God's name glorified because that's the most important thing to you and you hate to see it belittled in some parts of the world. And these may seem like different reasons, but they're actually one and the same because if you love the glory of God, You know the way that God gets glory is when people find their satisfaction in him. And if you want to see people have joy and live forever, you know that happens when they fall in love with and treasure God above all things. So having a desire to see people saved and having a desire to see God glorified go together. And you might hear arguments around you, especially as you get into college and stuff, that maybe it's narrow-minded for us to say, and demand that somebody come to our faith and narrow-minded to say that everybody should believe in the same thing. But let me ask you this. If you had a friend who had a serious illness, life-threatening, and you knew would eventually kill them, and you knew the way for them to be healed and saved, wouldn't you start coming up with your case and your reasons and telling them why? And pretend or, or imagine that this person didn't even recognize that it exists. They just ignored it and just went on about their life. Wouldn't you want them to wake up and recognize this illness that they have? Wouldn't you want them to turn and see a way for them to be healed and saved? It comes down to our relationship and our understanding with God. We need to love the things that God loves. So think about when people start dating. 
you begin to enjoy the things that the other person enjoys, right? Or doing the things that the other person enjoys. So guys, when you start dating, your hygiene probably gets a lot better, right? Girls, you probably start dressing up more because you start doing the things that you think the other person will appreciate. For me, I love McDonald's. I mean, I love it. I have my whole life. So when Ben and I, and I don't even care if the meat isn't real, if the chicken nuggets are spongy, or if there's so many preservatives that it's not going to rot. And of course, who wouldn't have health problems if you ate a quarter pounder every day for a year? I don't care. It's delicious. So when Ben and I were dating, we went to McDonald's all the time. And I'm talking like once or twice a week. Late at night, we'd go get Oreo McFlurries and chicken nuggets. So soon after we got married, naturally, I suggested we go to McDonald's. And Ben was like, oh, gross. I don't like McDonald's and their sponge nuggets. It's like, what? I've been deceived. That's why I married you, because I thought you loved McDonald's. Doesn't anyone else want the, their spouse to also love McDonald's as much as them? Um, so, but he went all the time because he knew I loved McDonald's. And he does actually like their McFlurries, because who doesn't? So the point of this is not that you should lie and deceive. But when you love someone, you start to enjoy the things that they enjoy. You know, I've always liked basketball, but I never really watched it until I got married. And then because Ben watches basketball, I'm actually now a huge NBA fan. Kevin Durant, all the way. Hey. Whoa, I was not expecting that. Kevin Durant, come on, people. Okay. So anyways, the same goes to our relationship with God. When you fall in love with God, you begin to love the things that God loves and care about the things that God cares about. And God's ultimate plan for all people of all nations is to glorify him, to worship him, and to find their joy in him. You might be asking, well, how do you know that's his plan for all nations to love him and to worship him? Well, the answer is right before you. So when you study the Bible and you look at his word, there is a common theme or a common thread throughout the whole thing, and that's missions. It's from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm going to show you, and for the 1% of you that are just like me, it just might blow your mind like it did for me the first time. So let's start in Genesis 12, verse 1, and this is where missions all begins. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God God told Abram to go, so that he could be a blessing to others. So all the families of the earth would be blessed. All the families. And then God continues this theme throughout the whole whole Bible, and we're going to look at that. He reiterates it to his sons, Isaac and Jacob. To Isaac in Genesis 26, he says, In your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The Red Sea, when God parts the Red Sea and destroys the most powerful army, uh, the army of the most powerful nation at the time, Egypt, It's so his name would be known. In Exodus 9.16, God tells Pharaoh, But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. When David has zero odds in his favor, he tells Goliath that the Lord will defeat him, so all the earth may know that there is a God. The book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they get saved from the fiery furnace, it's so awesome that it made the king of Babylon, again, the most powerful nation at that time, decree that the entire kingdom should revere and respect their God. Psalms twenty-two twenty-seven: All of the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. 
Romans 15, 8, when Paul is talking about his ministry to share to the gospel, I mean to the Gentiles, he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm his promises given to the patriarchs, the Jews, in order that the Gentiles, anyone who is not a Jew, in order that the Gentiles well, I lost my place, might glorify God for his mercy. Philippians 2.10, talking about how God exalted Jesus so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then, of course, Jesus' final command, Matthew 28, that we've all heard, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I could go on and on. These are just a few examples, but I know you've probably stopped listening already. So I'm going to give you one more, and it's from Revelation. So at the end of the Bible, John has a vision of heaven at the end. And he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So all the tribes, all the peoples, all the languages, all the families. You see the theme. The gospel is to go to every nation. And not just the easy ones, not just the ones right next to us, not just the safe ones, not just the ones that are most culturally like us, every nation. And just as Abraham was to be a channel of blessing, so are we. This gospel isn't something that you receive and tuck away and keep to yourself, but it comes to us, transforms us on its way to others and to the ends of the earth. We're supposed to be the messenger and carry it forward. We're supposed to show others how life-transforming it is. Psalm 67 You may recognize the first part. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. But then the next part says, So that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all the nations. So yes, may God bless us. May God change us and transform our life and make us in the image of Christ so that we can be a blessing to others and we can bear Christ's image to the world. So obviously, God places a high priority on missions. And God uses all of these different events that we looked at to make his name known to the world. And Jesus even commands it at the end before he leaves. So we should make it a priority as well. God's global purpose is that all the nations would hear the gospel and that all the people from all tribes would be glad in him through Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 24 that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. Once the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations, that means all 11,000 people groups in the world. And by people groups, I mean a group of people grouped together based off in the self-identity, like a language, a culture, a belief, rituals. All 11,000 of them need to be reached with the gospel. So that means the nation, Muslim nation of Saudi Arabia, that people get killed if they change faiths. They need to be reached with the gospel. The Andamanese, this tiny, tiny tribe in central India that has 19 people in it, they need to be reached with the gospel. That's big work, right? That God intends for all nations to hear about him, but we as Christians are part of this work, which is exciting, really. So one of the most compelling reasons for me that makes me feel the urgency of the gospel is when you look at the stats. Anyone else a math person in here? Anyone? Not many? Okay. Sorry, guys. It won't last long, I promise. So there are 7.5 billion people in the world, right? So 30% are Christians. So only 2.2 billion people are Christians in this world. How many of you have heard of the 1040 window? Have you ever heard of that term? Okay, so I have a picture up here, Matt. 
So it's basically just a geographic region. It's called 1040 window because it lies between 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitude. So two-thirds of the world's, world's population is crammed into this little box right here. So that's about 5 billion people that live here. And they're almost all Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist. And the majority of the world's unreached people groups live in these countries in here and a few that are surrounding, like Indonesia, which you can't see. Three billion of these people are unreached people groups. Now, more than that are unsaved and don't believe in the saving work of Christ. But three billion are unreached. And when I say unreached, that means they have little to no access to the gospel. So that means there's probably less than 2% of the people there are evangelical Christians. So there's no one there to share the gospel. There's no one there who can speak their language who could be able to share the gospel. There's not a single bit of scripture in their language. So basically, 3 billion people don't have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And when I look at that, I think, wow, what's God's plan for that? That's, that's a lot. But in Romans 9.14, Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, I know it says earlier in Romans that we are all without excuse and that God reveals himself in nature. He does, most definitely. God reveals himself all around us, and you can't deny that there is a God. But how is someone to have an understanding and relationship with God unless the gospel is presented to them? Without somebody crossing those cultural barriers and learning the language and sharing with them the glory of Christ on the cross. As we saw from earlier scripture, this isn't like the reject corner of the world that God has forgotten about. He intends for the gospel to reach all of those nations in there. To the reach these people that he has created in his image. Did you know that two-thirds of Jesus' miracles were actually done to internationals and not to the Jews? What's sad, though, is that we get so caught up in our world and our comfort and our security that we don't even really want to hear these statistics because, I mean, that is some work to be done. And um, only 6% of the church's money actually goes to foreign missions, and only 1% is given to unreached people. So that's like giving one cent for every $100 given to these 3 billion people over here. So my desire for you in all of this, though, is that we'll have an awareness and an understanding of God's desire for the nations, of God's plan, and so that we'll see the need that is out there. Because think of the impact that we could have. If we really had a passion for making God's name great on the earth, and we dedicated our time, our money, our prayers, God would do incredible things that you cannot even imagine. He already does, and he will, but we would get to be a part of it. So where do we go from here? What does that mean for us? As we understand our purpose and God's plan, and we recognize the need, and remember, like I said, we are all a part of missions, and I mean foreign missions. We should desire to see God's name made, made known in the ends of the earth. So God didn't die on the cross to extend such grace to us that we keep it to ourselves. We were given grace to be with him, to make much of him, and then show it to others. However, we do need to put in perspective that there are two different types of people. There's those that go, and then there's those that send. And the roles look different, but they're both equally important in God's plan. So a lot of us are called to be senders, to work in the role and the job that God has given you here. And that's important. Don't miss that. Because God does put you in a specific place at a specific time for a purpose. And like Dave talked about last week, we can't miss the work that God is doing through us right where he has placed you, and the opportunities that you have with the lost people right around you. Paul says that 
in Romans that it was his mission to go to where the gospel had never been preached. And his reason was because he quotes Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So it was God's plan and purpose for Paul to go to the ends of the earth, and to him that meant Spain. But as Paul goes to Spain, he doesn't ask for the church to pick up and go with him. He asks for support from where they were. He needed prayer and support and money and encouragement. So he desired for the church to stay planted, build up the believers there, and reach the lost people that were there. And actually, Timothy remains behind to build up the church. There are still billions of lost people that don't believe in Jesus that do not live in that 1040 window. And one of them could be your neighbor. The church has to do a good job of doing local outreach if they want to support and extend their reach to the nations. G. Campbell Wyatt says, Most people are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. They aren't going anywhere or making traction, nor supporting the reaching of the nations. We were made to be engaged in the global historical enterprise of God reaching the nations, whether that is working in a secular job or as a missionary. So ask yourself, where does God have you? How are you working to spread the gospel? If it means being sent, where is God placing you? If it means someone being someone who sends, how can you be an intentional sender? And wherever God places you and whatever you're doing with the talents that he's given you, how are you being most strategic and glorifying God the most? Think about during the war, in wartime. There's many people that are called to the front to go fight, but there's even more that are called to stay here, to work together, to keep things running, to be the backbone and be the support. And even though those people that stayed behind were not in the middle of the fight, they still wanted to know what was happening on the front lines because they're just as much a part of the cause. So you may not be the one that gets to live overseas and share the gospel with a Sunni every day, but it's still an important role. Think of all the opportunities that you have to work with foreign missions, even if you live here. So prayer and financial support and short-term trips are the most obvious, but also think about other opportunities. Think about how many foreign exchange students come to the U.S. every year. Reaching the gospel and changing, having opportunity to change one life and then sending them back with the gospel where they already know the people and the language is an incredible opportunity. But maybe you are someone who God is calling to foreign missions, whether that's now or in the future, and there will be such amazing things in store for you getting to be on the front lines, cross, cultural, cross the cultural boundaries, and witness God working firsthand among other cultures. You know those moments when you finally take a few minutes and you sit down and you're looking at a sunset over like a beach or an ocean, and you think to yourself, wow, God's pretty cool. Missions is like that on an even grander scale. Because you don't really understand God's full majesty until you see him moving among the nations. And you see people of all these different languages worshiping the same God. And even then it's still a glimpse, but it's life-changing. But no matter what your role is, it's connected to global missions. Because whether you stay here or you go to live in Iraq, we all have a part to play in God's purpose and glorifying him. Steve Hawthorne says, You could do something other than working with God and his purpose, but it'll always be something lesser and you couldn't come up with something better. The question I want to end this series with and, and leave you with is this. Can you honestly look at your life and say that you truly treasure God above all things and with everything you have? Do you find your joy in him and he is your worth, or do you find it from what people say about you and what people say around you? Do you love the things that God loves 
his people, his desire to reach all of the nations. So our main priority in life is to glorify him by him being the most important thing in our life and then help others see that joy and satisfaction that comes. So my prayer is that we can look to God and say as Isaiah did, here am I, send me. Okay, y'all can, do we have time for questions? Yeah, y'all can do questions for a few more minutes.